um, so of course um, you earn a man the match award against Motherwell for Park. Did you think you'd really kick on from there in your Celtic career? Yeah, I don't. I remember being injured, and I remember playing my. I played at Dunfermline centre midfield, and I played up. I come on. I played up front against Rangers, and I played centre half, and I played right. And I was just playing. I was being thrown from pillar to post, and I, I always remember going to see Gordon about November time and sitting down with him. And I was just like, look, I, I'm happy to be patient, but I, I need a chance to. You know, when I go back to that conversation, you promised me this. Yeah. And then he signed Paul Telfer, who went in at right back. But then Steve McManus was having a decent season that year to almost come from nowhere. And I always remember that summer because I think Bobo was linked with Marseille. And I remember thinking Bobo left to go to Marseille. And then he ended up coming back. And I thought, oh, this is my chance. And then Bobo came back. And then he spoke to me again in November. And he said to me, um, Bobo is off to the African yeah. Cup of Nations in January. This is when you're going to get your chance. You're going to get your run of games in in, in January, and um, and I just thought, you know, that 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 was the opportunity that that I was waiting for. And like coming on a sub, it's it's not easy. Coming on at right back, coming on up front for periods of the game. I'm not a striker, you know. I'm not. I'm and but he kept bringing me on up front, and you know, I kind of said, play me. I said I want to play centre half. I can do a job at right back, but I felt that centre half was was my position. Um, and then the, the opportunity came against um, against Motherwell to to play, and you know, because uh, I remember Stan and I played, Stan yeah. Varga and I played together for the first time. Had Paul Telfer at right back, and um, and, and Mo Camera at left back, and um, I finally kind of felt that I, I had a good game, and I just felt that I needed that game, and then I needed the opportunity now to kick on. And any player that signs for a club. If if you if you look at any player in the Celtic squad, if you play them at centre half, centre midfield, centre forward, right back, how how you, and especially at 21 years old, how are you going to settle into a side that yeah. it's going to be almost impossible? So when that game at Fir Park, I really felt that I'd finally arrived. I'd, I'd had that good game that I needed. The fans then saw me play, and it was almost like, okay, great. Now now's the chance to, to kick on. And you know, annoyingly, it, it it just didn't happen for me in terms of. Again, we played Dundee on the on the Saturday and we drew 3-3. And I always felt that Gordon, I, I can't explain it. I remember one of the, we, we always watched the analyzer goals on the Monday. And I think Lee Miller had scored a goal. Yeah. And David Fernandez. Taken it around, yeah. yeah, he had taken it around Arta and he had put it into the net. And he had gone the opposite side to where I was. I think it was Stan and Mo Camera's side. And he had played it through both of them. And he took, he rounded Arta. And I was trying to get back on the line. But by the time he kicked it so hard, I was never going to get there. And I didn't stop, but I just knew that I wasn't going to get there. And I remember him analysing the goal and he just kind of went, and the biggest person he had to go at was me. Yeah. And he said, you, giving up on the line. And I was just like, and it, everyone looks at each other like, why is he having to go at him for a thing? And I just, I, I, I can't explain it. It just, it was just, and then I didn't play the next game after that. And I was the only one who's, and it was just like, it was it was a real weird one, and then I thought I was going to play against Clyde in the cup. Thank, thank God I didn't. I came on a sub, but I thought I was going to play in the cup, and then he played Dewey instead, and that's when it all really started um, unfolding. That I just I again I go back to what I wasn't promised, and I needed more games, and it, it just didn't it just didn't materialise for for whatever reason. About to touch on the the kind of January period where, of course, they brought in Roy Keane, Dion Dublin, like real characters like that. Before I want to ask that, what's the worst you ever seen striking like crack at anybody? 
Um, he, he cracked at me. Well, again, we played Motherwell in the semi-final of the League Cup and we'd worked on this kickoff where Lenny had played it back to me and then I'd play it. We had, we had Magic on one side and John on the other. Because I have a fairly decent kick, I was going to hit John on the diagonal and because they didn't think I'd reach. And Lenny played me back the ball short and it, it didn't even reach me. It was a real, and it was his fault. And I ended up going in for a 50-50 challenge and ended up playing it forward. Didn't really think anything of it. And he went absolutely mental at me at half time. And even Lenny was like, no, it's my fault. It was my fault. And he was like that far from my face. And he was screaming at me and he, he was just going completely off on one. And, um, and I, again, you kind of think, well, I don't know. It was just, it was just really, really weird um, in that situation. He, you crack more at youngsters than the senior players. I think yeah. I, I think he would do that. I think that's that's the way that he was. I mean, Aiden was another one as a, as we mentioned before. Um, he would go off at. Um, but yeah, that's probably for me. That was that was my worst situation with him when he. When they call it the hairdryer treatment at Ferguson. It, it was a little bit like that, and um, you know, he, 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 yeah, it was just a bit a bit of an odd thing to have a go at me at when even Lenny's sitting next to me saying no it was my fault it was a bad ball blah 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 but um, it, it, was, I, it, was yeah. a, it was a weird January for me that that period I can generally I mean I mean, I would be I'm not trying to blow, blow smoke up your arse here I generally think that things I remember thinking it I was at school at the time but all my mates were Celtic fans in school like I, I generally the general opinion of you was you didn't get a fair crack of the whip and bear in mind we're used to seeing obviously McManus was having a good season then and Varga was there as well and Baldi but Baldi hardly played or Baldi didn't really play that year eh? so like um, we all we all actually thought you should have got more of a chance and it's just a shame that you didn't um, how did you enjoy living in Glasgow and like um, were you based in the city centre or were you yeah, based outside yeah. to get away from the madness um, they, they wanted you to live in Newton Mens because I didn't realise that from. Tommy Burns <laughs> that was it Tommy Burns used to live out there yeah. so he always wanted to keep an eye on the youngsters um, in, in, in that situation. Hamilton was another area that they wanted you to live in. Um, but I, I was also young and I, you know, I wanted to go out there and not enjoy myself, but I wanted to be in the city. I wanted to be in the city centre. So I, I lived in Lancefield Quay, which was just by the SECC oh, yeah. centre. And um, it was, um, it was a good, I, I love living now. I, I could have lived up there for the rest of my life. I, I really, honestly, I, I loved, loved living up there. Um, I enjoyed my golf up there. Um, I love I love playing golf, so I, I enjoyed my golf up there. I thought the people were super super nice. Um, way that I'd always describe a, a, a Scots person is you meet them at the bus stop and you know their life story by the time your bus <laughs> turns up. You know they 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 are so nice and um, you know there is a massive divide where I've been into taxis with Rangers fans that have refused to drive you, but then you jump into a taxi with a Celtic fan who refuses to charge you yeah. and all these things. And um, I mean, the weather was difficult to get used to because I remember moving and everyone was saying to me, you'll crumble up there because of the weather. They said, you just won't survive. And driving home at one o'clock with your full headlights on, it, you know, it was quite uh -huh. surreal to, to have that. And I didn't mind the rain. It was the, it was the wind and the rain at the same time that just kind of, I, I used to go into training dressed like an Eskimo and, <laughs> I had all the layers on and stuff, and um, just to try and get through training. Sometimes it, it was so so cold. But live, I, I actually haven't been up there since I've left. I, I've not I've not been back, and I'd I'd love to go up there again and just go around the because I'm sure it's changed since since I've been up there massively. I know the grounds changed a little bit in terms of the outside bit with the yeah. with the lead up to the ground and things. But um, I, I I loved it. I loved the West End. I thought that was a nice area to go to. I love the outskirts of, of Glasgow as well. Um, it's, it's, it's a really, really, really nice place to live. And I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And I got used to the, um, 
being recognised and, yeah. and and things like that. Um, because the fans were so nice with it. Because I always said that the guys earn their money to pay not the mortgage, their season tickets yeah. at Celtic. That was the way that I always envisioned it. And um, you know, it, it was a great place to live, and I I, I absolutely loved it. I, I never had a problem with Scotland. Who did you like hang about with from the squad? And like, came, remember like where you used to go out and all that? Was it? I'm sure my is it called the tunnel? Was there a uh, oh, the, the tunnel, tunnel? <laughs> on, a, on a Mitchell Street? Aye, yeah, that's there, was, right. there, was, there was a club called the Tunnel. Um, there was a, there was another club that we used to go downstairs. There was an Italian restaurant called the Italian Italian Kitchen. It was called, um, which which was really nice. Um, there was a restaurant in off Buchanan Street, which was in the not the mall bit, but there was kind of like I think there was a ZZ's in the middle, and there was one at the bottom. Um, Royal Exchange Square. That's the one, yeah. So yeah. There, there was a restaurant there. There was Tamburinos in um, the West End. I used to go to a fair bit. Um, there was a, there was the casino as well. We used to shoot uh, on the riverside. On the, on the yeah, on the riverside, we used to go to there a fair bit. But I, I used to hang around with Stephen. Pe- Stephen Pearson was a really good friend of mine when I was up there. He he really looked after me. Stephen Manis, even though we were in competition for the same position, he was like um, Mick. yeah, Mick, yeah. Um, he he was great with me as well. Sean played a lot of golf with, but didn't he? You know, he, he never really went out much. We Sean. I'd see Aiden Maloney. Sean Maloney. Sorry, Sean Maloney. Um, but yes, Stephen Pearson and but then John Hartson, I, I I got on really really well with. He he was another one who um, at the time he was um, going through different periods of his personal life. But I remember the first time I went out on the weekend, I bumped into him in the same restaurant, and I he he bought me a bottle of champagne. He paid for my meal and. You know, he was just, he was really, and I, I still, he's probably the only person I still speak to from Celtic. Don't speak to him lots, but um, when he went through his cancer thing, I went and visited him and he, he, I, we've always just kind of kept in contact. And if I'm in Spain, he's in Spain, we'll meet up for a round of golf and stuff. Um, but yeah, most of the youngsters, Ross Wallace was another one. David Marshall was another one. So it, the youngsters kind of kept together really. And then when we used to go out and see Lenny and stuff, you know, we would try and, Know, hang by his side for a cut. He used to love the West End, then. He used to love that, oh, 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 He's got a bar he goes to called Tenants on Byers Road. Do you know it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. He, he, apparently, he's in there all the time. Even when he was Hibs manager, apparently, he's still there like most, like quite a lot of nights a week. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think there's a <laughs> Just place called Join G- himself. There's a, is it called Ginty McGinty's? Was another one. Ah, that's in Ashton Lane. Yeah, Ashton Lane. And there was, he used to go in there all the, even after an old firm game. He'd, he'd still go in there. He, he used to be out. Quite a lot. Well, it sounds like he's still out quite a lot now, but yeah, he was um, he, he was a good lad. Do you remember a boy called Cy Ferry? Yeah, Ferry, yeah. I, cause I mean, he, he told a story about you, um, how like um, after training, he sometimes used to go up to your house and yeah. play the PlayStation and all that. I, he's got his own channel called Open Goal, which really successful. Which yeah, really I've really seen he's, he's interviewed, um, I've seen Charlie Adam on there. I've seen like, some, some good Scottish um, person. Cy was good because... I remember in my final year when, when Gordon completely disowned me from the first team squad, I actually, he made me train with the kids. So there would be Rocco Quinn, I remember. Yeah. Cy Ferry was one. Jim O'Brien was another one. Um, but I, I just remember Simon being very, very funny back then. And I I, I got on him. I haven't seen him for, for years, but he, he was very, very funny. And because I was training with them at the time, they used to come round my house and um, and sort of play the PlayStation and and things like that, really. Because um, I remember them being away in America when the first team went to America and we, we were still stuck in Scotland. And you know they used to come round and and do stuff. But I've I've seen some of his um, 
some of his podcasts. He's, he's very, very funny. Uh, he's very funny indeed. Um, we actually have a question from uh, a National League fan who's um, uh, sent one in for us. A uh, big listener of the pod, Stephen McCormick. Hello, Stephen. He says, hi, Adam. Making the move from the Championship to Scotland, what was your pre-existing view of the quality of Scottish football? And did that change when you left? To be honest, I think I, I knew I was joining the big club, but I didn't know the size of the club in terms of, of, of what I was going into. I think the thing about playing for Celtic at the time was it, it was everybody's cup final. So everybody raised their game. And I think I, learned, I remember playing against Dunfermline early on that, you know, relegation sort of threatened side. The players tend, because in Scotland, they always felt that if you played well against Celtic, because we ended up signing like Derek o, Derek Ryden, yeah. he came along and we and Rangers picked up Chris Boyd and they used to kind of take the local, the, sorry, the, the young Scottish talent coming through. They'd always get those chances at Celtic and Rangers. Um, I, I think the league gets a harsh criticism. When I, when I left, I thought, okay, I think people look at Celtic and Rangers, or Celtic and Rangers, because they win the leagues all the time. But when you look over Europe, the same teams win the leagues anyway, don't they really, to yeah. be honest. You know, Liverpool won it for the first time in 30 years. PSG win the league every Juventus. now and then. Juventus. But I, I came away thinking the standard of Scottish football is not as bad as, as what people make it out to be. I think, I think back then you would just see results every now and then that Celtic or Rangers would beat teams quite heavily and they'd just see that as, well, it's, it's an easy league and... You, you go up there and people would say, well, you're, you're going to win every single week and stuff. And trust me, it's not easy to, to do that because teams are so up for you. I and mean, when teams come to Celtic Park, they're, they're, they're always up for the game. And, you know, I, I watched a Burnley Motherwell a couple of weeks ago, the, the old 8-5 game or whatever it was. 6-6. Yeah. 6-6, six, 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 whatever it was. You know, there's, there's, some, there's some cracking, cracking players there. So when we were coming through and Chris Boyd was at Kilmarnock and all these young players were coming through, we knew that there was a basis for... For, for, for decent teams and um, but I I didn't have an opinion that it was bad I didn't I didn't really have a, an opinion at all but when I left I felt that the criticism was slightly harsh on, on Scottish football in, in terms of the quality the second question here from uh, from our quote unquote fan base is um, from Tom Cairns now he says we've seen plenty come from those leagues and succeed or fail I think by those leagues it means championship and Premier League and whatnot. Um, and they've succeeded or failed to various degrees. Has that impacted the way Scottish football is viewed down south? Because I, mean, I think there's still like a Timbot view of it. I think people still view it as like a li- annoying little brother that sometimes produces like gives us a player. Like, and we are, we find that quite insulting. What teams that come players that come from the Championship up to Scotland? That yeah, for example, Joey Barton, to... good example. Yeah, like Joey Barton, you've got Martin Wycorn who failed in Scotland. Now he's ripping up the Derby. Joey Barton, there's countless examples. Yeah, I mean it's. I think it's a good opportunity to to go to Scotland and and play for for clubs. I know the players. I remember Gary Dicker leaving Brighton and going to Kilmarnock yeah. and, and and doing fairly well up there and um, and other players as well. Um, but it's it can be especially when you go to big clubs and you know players can find it very difficult to adjust because I think sometimes. I think Joey, for instance, would have probably gone into that situation thinking he would just walk the league. You know, I've played for Man City, I've played in the Premier League. It's, it's going to be a walk in the park. And I remember Scott Brown running all over him um, one, one old firm game that he couldn't, he couldn't get near him and um, maybe got slightly uh, worked yeah. out worked out a little bit. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, I think that's a fair, a fair point there in terms of, of what he was saying. Um, so the January transfer window arrives and then, of course, like um, that will 
we'll start to talk more about your kind of latter career and your media career soon. Um, but the January transfer window arrives. Step forward, Roy Keane. What was the reaction like when you stepped through the doors of Celtic, Celtic Park? And what was he like around the place? I, I was in an Oasis concert at the SECC when I when I found out about it. It was kind of rumours that were going around and um, that we had signed him. And um, I, I was just like, wow, it was... Um, it was big, big signing for the football club. Um, and I remember him first day in training, I actually walked past him because I thought he was like six foot three. I thought he was a lot taller than, than I, I walked straight past him and I had to double check and I went back and I said, I'm oh, sorry, I didn't really, and I said hello to him and, and, um, and introduced myself. I remember that day in training. I just remember everybody's body language, everybody, I think everyone was scared of him. Mm. I, I genuinely believe that. I think because he had that, that, that interview on MUTV that people thought, well, if he's saying these about Man United players, what are they going to be saying about us? And I just remember people were panicking, passing him the ball. Kind of, if you hit it wrong, is he going to scrawl at you or, or, or shout at you? Um, but I, I got on with him really, really well. And um, he lived around the corner from me. We used to go to dinner a few times together. I remember him texting me once out of the blue. He came round and we watched we watched some football together in my lounge and I was just like this is weird like him I'm not really starstruck but it was just like weird how he was sat on one sofa I was on the other and we and we're just talking away um, but he was I learned I played with two players in my career Teddy Sheringham at Colchester and Roy Keane at, at Celtic and I learned straight away with those two in particular even I talk about Magic and um, Nakamura and Aidan McGeady yeah. being the best players that I played with. Those two players that I spoke about, Teddy Sheringham and Roy Keane, they were still brilliant at their age. But I just thought in my mind, what would they be like at 28? Just kind of thinking in their pomp. Um, I knew yeah. Teddy more because I was a Tottenham fan and, and supporting them. But he, he settled in really well. And I think, I think we all thought in certain situations he would just go off the handle and sort like what he's like now in the media. But he was really, I think he just wanted to go up there and not, have a hard time. I think he just wanted to go up there, play for the club, wear the badge. And I remember one old firm game, he was he was taking a lot of painkillers because he had a bad hip. And I just remember saying to him, you, you, because I, I, I used to get on him really, we used to have lunch together. And he, he was always the first one in, last yeah. one out. And he, with, with the youngsters that I've spoken about in this podcast, we used to do like gym sessions in the morning, gym sessions in the afternoon. And he'd always do them with us where senior players would be doing them on their own or go home and they wouldn't do it. He was always doing it. He was always meticulous about his food and his professionalism was there. And I just remember him one week just taking loads and loads of painkillers. And I just said to him, you're like, you okay? And he said, yeah, he goes, my hip's been. And I just remember the build up to that old firm game that everyone was talking about Barry Ferguson was going to outplay him, make him look average. And seeing that Barry Ferguson was the, the best midfielder in Scotland and he will show him. And Roy played that game away and he was unbelievable. He, he completely yeah. ripped that game up. We won the game. I think John scored. And it was just like, he, he was on a different level. And I remember watching it thinking, what, like, he's had to, all, he, he couldn't walk for about two weeks after. Yeah. But I just remember him playing in that game and he was just on a, on a completely different level. And um, you kind of got to know him because I used to go out and eat with him yeah. a fair bit that, I think the, the character he plays on telly, I think he's a bit like a Simon Cow. I think he, he kind of wants to be seen like that. And I think sometimes he has that old player's mentality and he said, where he will go for players. I know he's gone for De Gea a few times um, recently, 
but he's he's a lovely guy honestly he's a really really nice guy um family man says what he thinks which i think's good and bad but he he was fine up there he he just wanted to fit in with the rest of the team and i think that people felt that him and lenny couldn't play together then they felt that stillian might feel a bit aggrieved that a player's coming in that's seen as more of a, a higher spectrum but um it's a shame that we didn't get the best of him in terms of a longer period of, of him playing at Celtic. But um, in terms of professionalism, he, he didn't go out there. He wasn't one of those players that went up there to see his contract out. He, he, he was helping the youngsters all the time. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I've only really got good things to say about him. A total, total winner. And uh, Celtic were very lucky to have him as his last club. Um, before we kind of go into how you left Celtic and how you went on to join like, various loan clubs like Coventry and, and such, um, what was Dion Dublin like? Because he joined in January. Was he just yeah, a he, lovely guy? Is, yeah. is he, he seems on homes under the hammer. <laughs> yeah, he's he, he's a busy he's a busy boy, Dion. He, you know, he's he's he, he, every day is like a happy day for him and stuff like that. And there'll be bad news on the telly. Oh, don't worry about that. You know, you move on to the next thing. And you know, I remember we won the league. We couldn't get the trophy off him because he was literally holding it all around the stadium and stuff. And He's just a really, really nice guy. Just, just positive about every. You know, you have the worst day in the world, and he'll come in, big smiley face. Everything's all happy, happy, happy. And he, you know, he just couldn't. He's just a lovely, lovely guy. And um, I, you know, I've seen him a few times since. But like Roy Dion and I used to go yeah. out to dinner a fair, a fair bit. Um, you know, you just sit there and you just absorb the knowledge of of what they're talking about football and just try and pick anything you can off them. Um, but Dion, you know, Gordon knew him from his Coventry days and. You know, he just come up there to, to, to do a job to a certain extent. Um, again, probably Celtic got him at the wrong stage of his career coming towards yeah. the end. Um, but yeah, Dion's a, a really, really nice guy. And what you see on the telly and the homes under the hammer is, is what you get. You'll see him in the street. I guarantee if you ask for a photo or a signature, he'll be the first one to apply. And he'll, he'll give you time as well to, to chat to you and, and find out a little bit about you. Also, oh, next question. <clears throat> one word, really, Clyde. What actually happened? And like, why did Dewey play ahead of you? Because that was a joke. <laughs> I mean, we, we obviously, the, the reasons why, of course, he was brought to Celtic, I think, were more commercial. And I think that's fair to say. Um, what actually happened? Well, I've only spoken about this. I never did an interview when I left Celtic. Um, I didn't speak for years. I, I, I just, I left and I, and I never, ever, even when I did interviews back in Brighton, I just, I just said really nothing. And I remember doing an interview and I, I mentioned about, going to see Gordon because this was around the January time that I wanted to be involved and he said to me the minute Bobo goes to the, the African Cup of Nations you're going to get your chance and I, I always remember him saying that and we we had a training session on Thursday at Celtic Park and he set up the team I could tell he could set up the team for the for the game and I wasn't in it and I, I, I remember at the time my heart just sank and I was just, I was so, so disappointed. Um, I, I just couldn't believe it that someone had promised me back in July that I was going to be given first team football and didn't. I then went and saw him again in November. He then says to me, I promise you now you're going to be playing in January when, when Bobo goes and he didn't. And I just remember going to see him and I just said, look, what you, what, there's no explanation of why I'm not playing. Because football-wise, he's not had a game for Celtic yet. And you're throwing him in to a cup game against Clyde, bobbly pitch, away from home. 
the majority of my education has been playing on bobbly pitches in League One and League Two. I said, what, what the F is going on here? And he said to me, it's politics, Adam. It's out of my hands. And I know Celtic have denied that since, and I've, I've seen the articles that they've said they've denied it. But I remember sitting there with Gordon, I said, you're telling me that you're not playing me because the game's being showed elsewhere. And he just went, yeah, that's, that, that's the reason. And I can't do anything about it, and I'm sorry. And he apologised to me, and I, I walked out fuming. And sounds bad, but when they had that first half, I was probably, I was delighted. I was really delighted, because yeah. I just knew mm. that I'd been promised so much leading up to that. And to, that was the biggest kick, that was the biggest kick in the teeth for me being at Celtic, was that game. Because I generally felt that I was going to play and I came on second half and I, we, we got a goal back and I, I did okay second half. And I remember Lenny saying to me in the dressing room, he said, he said fair play to, he goes, well done today. Because I knew, and he came up to me and he was just like, you did really, really well when you came on. He didn't come on with a sulk. Because um, I knew it was Roy Keane's debut as yeah. well. And that was a big thing as well. But that, that's the gist of what happened. And I think what the thing for me is, is that Gordon may remember it, he may not. He will have a million conversations with different players over his career. But the fact that it's just with me, I'm going to remember it a lot more because it affected me mentally and it affected me personally that I couldn't play in that game. And I felt in that January period, I was going to get the run of games. And if I played those 10 games and I played crap for those 10 games, then people can have an opinion on me. But the fact that I never got that chance and I played 12 times and I'd say eight of them were in different positions. How, how is it fair for anyone to say, well, you, you're not as good? Because people see me as not a very good player and they, they kind of say things about you that, you know, you're the worst Celtic player to ever play for the club and everything else like that, that you do read sometimes. And it's like, well, tell me another player that's gone to a club that's played in four different positions and played in his only position twice. And one of them is gets man of the match in. You know, it's, it's just like, I, I couldn't do any more um, with the circumstances I had going into the club and the way that things happened during that season. But that's, that's my side of the story. I've said it twice now. And it's, ne it's never going to change. I've moved on from it now. It's not, you know, it's, it, it happened and things like that. But the club came out and denied it. I very doubt that Gordon and Peter Law have had a conversation with each other and said, did you say this to him or whatever? Of course the club are going to deny that. Of course they're not going to mention it. But there's no other reason why he's not going to play me for someone else. And the fact that he subbed him at half-time, to me, to me... Of course, and then go on to your kind of Celtic exit. Do you think after that, there were maybe any irreconcilable differences between you and the manager and did that culminate in of course your exit in the summer because in that summer they brought in the likes of Thomas Gravis and Jan Benagura Hesseling Derek Wilder as mentioned Gary of course my times are limited and I remember that summer I remember going to Portugal I hired myself a personal trainer and I came back as fit as I'd ever been in my career i got to my lowest body fat that I'd ever got to. And I remember going to Switzerland for pre-season and we were doing all these, all these time trials and stuff like that. And I was out running that. I was out running everybody. I was, I was, I couldn't have come back any fitter. I couldn't have come back any stronger. And he played me a couple of times and then he played, we, we, we then went to America yeah. and he started me up front against, um, uh, I think it was called. New, I think New England up front. I ended up getting concussion, and and then we we then 
and I always remember this. We played um, at DC and we yeah. played against um, DC United and we got spanked 4 1 or 4 0. And there was a player back then called Freddie oh, who scored. He, he scored a couple of goals and I didn't play that night because I played in the previous game and I, I wasn't involved. Um, and then we were staying at, we were training at Harvard University and we, and the next day he ran us and it was hot and he just ran us and ra- he was fuming. He, was, he ran us and ran us and ran us. And he called us in after the meeting. He called us in after the training session and we're all sitting there in a the group and he went, he went like, this is what he said. He said, if Celtic lose, because back then MLS yeah. is not what it's like now. You know, it was back then it was seen as a Mickey Mouse league and it was not professional, blah, blah, blah. And he said, if Celtic lose, it goes around the world. Everybody knows when Celtic loses. And you losing last night is an absolute embarrassment to the football club. It's an embarrassment to yourselves. Everybody now, we're the laughing side. And I always remember, he said, it's not like we're a little crappy club like Brighton who lose and no one gives an absolute monkeys about. Yeah. And I just remember sitting there thinking, and everyone sort of looks around thinking, that was odd. And he goes, if Brighton lose, it doesn't matter. No one gives, no one cares if Brighton loses. And I remember going up to him afterwards. I said, I said, what was that all about? And he went, what do you mean? I said, well, you dug out Brighton, that if they lose, no one cares. And I said, trust me, Gordon, when we win and players get their winning bonuses, that pays their mortgages. I said, winning to Brighton means personally more to them. And I kind of went off at him about that. And I just remember then, I just, I'd said what I thought and, but only because he kind of said something something like that and then I remember playing up he kept playing me up front and it was just really annoying and um and I just remember coming back and I just I just knew then that you know the end was was nigh and um he wanted me then to go to Motherwell that summer to go with Mark at uh, um, eh? Motherwell and he came and sat me down in the office and he said, uh, Mother, I want to take you on loan. So I was like, okay, great. And then he said to me, but they can't pay all your wages. So I was like, right. And he goes, basically, from what I was earning, they basically want to take me for £800 a week and Celsius weren't going to, they didn't want me to cover the others. So I was just like, do you know what I mean? And it was almost yeah. like, I just said, that's stupid. I said, like, I've earned this contract now, blah, blah, blah. And that's when I ended up going to the championship with, with Mickey. And I just remember speaking to Gordon right at the end. And I just said to him, that I said, the thing that hurts me the most is that you shook my hand and promised me these things and you didn't keep to your word. And you kind of not lied throughout the season, but you just kind of didn't, just, just wasn't honest with me from day dot. And, um, and that's more disappointing um, about that. And then that's when I came back the third season and then, the whole squad went to America. I didn't go. And that's when, I, and then he was making me come in at different times um, from the first team. I had to come in and train on my own. I was training with the youth team from that first conversation that I had with him in Brighton to the way that I ended. And I saw him at Wickham a few years ago um, when I was yeah. playing at Rovers and he, he said, hello mate. And I was just like, you're yeah. not my mate. I said, I can't, you, you, you kind of, I, I said hello, but I said, you're not my mate. I said, I said, you're not my mate. I said, the way that you treated me was, pretty poor um but listen I, I managed to move on from it and, and and you learn from it i was going to ask i mean how do you see them since because you're obviously heavily involved with bt you know and he's in the kind of media circuit if you want to call it that um uh, if you had to walk them the game would it be too no, awkward I've, it said be this, difficult? I've, I've said what i've said to him now i i finally got that off my chest when i saw him outside and when i saw him playing for rovers he was at wickham 
and then he come and saw me. He, well, I saw him in the dressing room and uh, in the hallway a bit. Sorry. If if I saw him now, I'd say hello to him. You know, I've, I've kind of retired seven years ago. Um, kind of, you've got to move on from those things slightly. Do you know what I mean? You can't hold that as a grudge for for the rest of your life. But I, you know, it, it still hurts a little bit. But that's 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 just life, really. Of course. Uh, on a kind of lighter note, um, just to end the kind of Celtic chapter of this um, pretty fascinating interview, if I'm being honest. Um, did you ever meet Tommy Gravison? Yeah, Tommy. Yeah, Nutcase, man. He came in the third season. He was, he was, he was nuts. He was like um, the guy out of the Adams family, the bald guy. I can't remember who he oh, was. Oh, um, I didn't. I don't watch that program. Yeah, man. He's, he's <laughs> the, um, he, he was. He Hannibal was a, Lecter. Yeah, he he was a yeah. lovely, he was a lovely, lovely guy. Uh, I'm sure every fan you speak to, every player you speak to, has got a Tommy G story. He, um, he, we had this pool table at that Celtic, and we used to play during lunch breaks. And he'd walk in, and he he called everyone la. He goes, "Hey, like, do you want to join a join a game la?" So we were playing him at pool, and we kept beating him and beating him, and he get really really frustrated. Little did we realise that he went away and then had snooker lessons with really? um, with 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 a, with a snooker coach. He then came into training once with a brand new pool cue in his box, all kind of engraved with Tommy on and stuff like that. And I remember screwing up the cue and then he started playing. He got beat again and he just snapped the cue in half and uh, and just left with a strop. He, he, he was so, it was funny when he came in with this snooker cue in this little box and he was like, and he told him, he goes, I've had lessons. I'm ready for you now. And he lost the first game and he just snapped the snooker cue in half and just walked out. He was, um, he was, uh, he was interesting and, I don't know if people know his girlfriend. Ah, the porn star. Aye. Aye. Yeah. Do you know what he's uh, doing now? Is he like property in Vegas or somewhere? Aye, he, he, I think he's second best player in the world at Call of Duty out in Las Vegas, he? but he's based in Las Vegas. Aye. He, um, <laughs> That's how he makes I his money. being married to this. And back in the day, I remember when I first signed, because you had the news of the world up there at the time and all the local papers were the big things. And I remember reading the paper and he's, his missus was in the centre page that she'd been with, like Cliver and different players like that. And I remember him saying, "Pass us the paper, Lau." Like, and I just remember, re- I thought, "Oh my god!" I just, I just handed it, and I just ran out. I just walked out. I didn't, I didn't want to say and see. His re- and then he come down like he was fuming. That the the son had written his article on him or something. It was, it, yeah, it, it was quite funny. He, he, apparently, he used to like dry hump Gary Pendry every day, man. <laughs> yeah, he's, oh. he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's just a lovely, lovely guy, and. Um, yeah, it f- funny with it as well, and um, yeah, he, he was very, very good humour. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yes, Adam, actually, just one last uh, from me, and it's it's actually a bit a personal one. Um, I actually saw you play live at St James's Park in Alan Shearer's testimonial, so I'm a Newcastle fan. Okay, yeah. I was a little seven-year-old uh, lad at the time, and then you came on for the last four minutes. Uh, can you just quickly tell me what that night was like? Yeah, because... Alan at the time was injured um, yeah. and we were, we were promised everything from mini cars to TVs and all these like prizes that you get given a, a testimonial. And we got these, we got these like tiny little TV things that um, <laughs> some of the players weren't happy about. Um, and I remember, so we played in Roy Keane's testimonial. Um, and then we, then we played at St. James's park after that. And, uh, uh, that's when I met Paul Gascoigne for the first time, and that was meeting him was was really surreal. Um, when when, I, when you meet your childhood hero and stuff, um, 
Yeah, it was for me that was a difficult, a different night because by then I I'd fallen out with Gordon in a little bit. That I went to Manchester and didn't play in the testament. He brought me on for the last four minutes, which it was a bit of a, you know, I, I was a little bit frustrated with that. But it was a good night out in Newcastle afterwards. I can say that. I mean, I think I out in Cardiff after. Um, but it's a massive club. Um, got someone. Yeah, I think I've got Luke's. Is it? Uh, I've got um, Albert Lucky. Albert Lucky. Yeah, yeah, I've got his shirt. Yeah. I've got his shirt after. Um, I never know what happened to him. Um, but yeah, I got I got his shirt after, and but I've, I've got I've got them up in other rooms um, from, from that. But it, it was a, it was one of those stadiums that I'd always wanted to play at because it was the the noise and the the, the passion of fans. I see your Genola thing in the background. I mean, your in your room, Thomas. Um, the the yeah. Genola picture you had in the background. Because um, I was a Tottenham fan, I was a big fan of Ginola, and um, and uh, but yeah, it was just good to see the the Newcastle players and me and Ant and Deck. I remember them being there as well, mm. doing the doing the game thing. Um, but it, it was a magnificent. I just wish I'd have played a little bit more in that game, really. But yeah. um, but it was still a good night. I remember Alan coming on, and we we had to almost give away a penalty because they needed to see him score, yeah. and he, he ended up getting. It was I, I haven't seen the replay of the goal, but I just remember that it was the. You know when like a little kid takes a shot and a penalty and the guy just lets yeah. it in. It's just, it was a little <laughs> bit like that. He couldn't. He could hardly walk, and he and he took the penalty. And uh, you know the, the fans finally saw him score his goal. But um, but yeah, no magnificent stadium, massive massive club. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't play very much, but it was um, it was good to play in in that stadium. Yeah, certainly one of my favourite nights. Uh, so anyway, back onto your playing career. You had actually two loan spells when you still contract with Celtic. Um, so you went to Coventry on loan, where big characters in the game uh, were managing at Coventry in that season. So you had Mickey Adams, Adrian Heath was caretaker for a bit, and Ian Dower, they all had spells in charge. Um, how did you find working under them that season? Yeah, Mickey, I knew from my Brighton days, and it, it, was, an easy, um, it was an easy club for me to join. Um, they had like Don Hutchinson, Stephen Hughes, Robert Page, uh, Dele Alabola. Stern John, um, you know, they're a really good catalyst of um, experienced players. Annoyingly, I played away at Cardiff and Dave McNamee, I don't know if people remember Hi, him. Scottish guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he started it right back and um, I played at Southampton on the Tuesday, come on for five minutes and then I'd start, and it was on the Saturday. I was, uh, okay, Dave McNamee done his hamstring. I came on and then I did my PCL within 15 seconds and I was being stretched off and I was out for six months and then um, so I, then I was back at Celtic for six months doing my rehab and then Mickey got the sack and Adrian Heath came in for a small period of time didn't get the job full time and then Ian Dowie came in towards the end where I, I really enjoyed my time under Ian people asked me who my favourite manager was he, he, he was my favourite manager to, to play under um, coaching wise was, was good man management wise was excellent I think his ideas sometimes was maybe a little bit ahead of the time in terms of psychology in football that when you've got the old school players, um, probably didn't take to that too good in terms of what he wanted from them. Um, he was very big sort of into spiritual stuff and sort of one word things. I mean, he had this one round, he kept saying one more round and it was almost like he kind of refers back to a boxer that a bit like the Rocky story and he used to scream that from the sidelines and stuff one more round and players used to look at each other and not, but then it might work in different mentalities in terms of that. But um and I remember going to see Ian that summer. I wanted to join Coventry. And he, he was as honest. When I talk about honesty, he said to me, look, I'd love to sign you. But 
Um, the new owners that are coming in, I've got a feeling it's going to go one way and it's going to go the wrong way. Um, I don't want to put you in that situation at all. And in fairness to him, within six months, I think the club had gone into liquidation or something, or into administration, sorry. And that rocky road afterwards was, um, was, was sad to see. But I broke my arm towards the end of the season, which then I'd stop my thing, my season stopped. So that, that was an injury-plagued season. But great club to be part of. Um, played with some really, really good players. Finished mid-table in the championship was, I think, if we had injuries along the way, we'd sold Gary McSheffery that summer um, to Birmingham, which was a big player for us. Um, but a top 10 finish, I think it was that season. It was um, it, it was a decent return. But then because Ian didn't want to sign me in terms of those situations, that's, that's when I moved on to Colchester. Um, just one last thing on commentary. You actually scored your only commentary goal at Ellen Road. And that's certainly uh, not a bad place to score uh, your only commentary goal. Yeah, no, again, Mickey, Mickey was playing me up front. And I, I never, even when Gordon played me up front, I didn't have that mentality. It was, I'm not going to play, you know, I... Like when I go back to that time when I was talking about Brighton, when I, I just do what I was told and and be respectful to the people that have told you to do it. And um, yeah, it was it was a, yeah, it was a good goal to score. I, you know, I had um, I'd been sent. I got I ended up getting sent off at Ellen Road, but I for Brighton. But I've you know scoring there. It's it's nice to get those little niches of of, of scoring at, at big grounds. And unfortunately, we went on to lose the game. But on a, on a personal milestone to to score it. Ellen Road is it's a great feeling. Um, it was yeah one I one I remember well. Um, See, so obviously you said you moved on to Colchester. It was unfortunately an unsuccessful season with the club finishing bottom. But as you just mentioned uh, before, uh, you shared a dressing room with um, Teddy Sheringham. Um, is there any certain stories you can give me, in, or any certain like moments in training where you just thought, "Wow, I, I'm, I'm with Teddy Sheringham here." Yeah, he loved. Um, I, I, I played a lot of golf with Teddy. Um, nice, nice, nice guy. Um, and he was, he'd do things in training and he'll kind of go, oh, I did this in Euro 96. Do you remember when I did this in Euro 96? If you play like a square ball and someone would finish, he goes, I, I did that against Holland in Euro 96, if no one remembers. And he'd, like, he'd do a through ball, so I'll set up skulls. He wanted an FA Cup final like that. Like team shows, he'd man. Say fun, <laughs> he'd say funny things like that. Um, but he, he was, you know, dry humour with it and, um, good, good trainer. Um, still like the night out at 42 in, in Faces in, in Essex. Um, I remember going back to his house once, which was, and he's called the Camp Lewis house. He's, he's named it after the Barcelona ground. And he had this big cabinet of, of all his trophies. And I remember he had, I think he had about eight bottles of Cristel in his, um, in his fridge. And I remember Danny Granville just opened them. Well, like, he had a massive party about everyone from Faces come back. And he, I remember Danny Granville just opened these bottles of champagne. Must have been about 600 pounds a bottle and he was just opening them and he, he he was fine with it though he didn't you know he didn't have any that that's what in he was hell, like man. he was he was a good teammate and um like he's you know an idol of mine sort of supporting Tottenham and um he set up my only goal for Colchester as well which was a, a nice thing he crossed in and I managed to get a header against Burnley but he, he was a great he was a great pro um even at that age and you know I talk about Roy Keane in terms of 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 the personnel the thing with Teddy is that he never had any pace anyway, but his touch and his, his vision was just um, absolutely exquisite. Um, and, he, you know, we, we didn't have a good season that year, but to, to play with him was a, was a, was a real honour um, and a dream come true for me, being a, being a Tottenham fan. Um, but, yeah, good, good lads. Um, 
and uh, yeah, bandit golfer. And of course, then, like, see, after that, like, obviously, you went right back to your your hometown club. And we're going to come towards the tail end of your career now to more focus on Adam Virgo Academy, which you want to promote actively, and your media career. But I wanted to touch on that. Like, you went there for a second spell at Brighton. How did it compare to the first spell? Yeah, I didn't do as well, to be honest. Um, I, 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 again, you go back to. I thought that at that time the ground was going to be built a lot quicker. So I felt that I was going back into that situation where the ground was going to be ready within my contract um, period. Yeah. So that was one thing that kind of drew me back to the club. Even though I've been promised the ground since 2002, when Dick Knight used to come in and talk to us about it. Um, I'd, I'd had offers from other clubs in, in League One, but I, I knew Mickey really, really well. Um, people say should never really go back. Um, but because the way I left was I didn't really want to go and I felt that the club was going in, in the right direction and, and Mickey yeah. was a massive influence in that and that, that was the reason why I signed back in, in the end to, um, you know, we had Glenn Murray up front at the time, Nicky Forster, we had, you know, we had some, we had some good players, the Tommy Alphick at centre-half, um, so, we, you know, we had some, some decent players um, playing for us, it, it just it just didn't click for us that season and injuries and then Mickey getting the sack and then it, it, it just didn't quite work out for us but that, that was the main reason why I came back the second time because I'd worked with Mickey at Colchester he was an assistant and then he brought me back in um, at that time so the, the manager was a massive influence of why, why I returned to the club but it, it just didn't have the same it just didn't have the same feel um, the first time I was there played under three different managers in two years um, and I don't know I just I just kind of I don't know, it just didn't quite click for me the second time I went so back. From there, you had a really kind of promising season at Yeovil. And then from there, of course, you ended your career at Bristol Rovers. Now, it sounded quite a hellish time for you just because of the fact you had a really bad knee injury. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, correct, yeah. And it, how did it, I mean, what, what was the kind of, I suppose, that gave you the propensity to end your career and say, look, enough's enough, I'm retiring? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd injured my knee in October um, in my first season. Um, I, I just passed the ball. That's all I did. I passed the ball, and I just felt this something go in my knee. I couldn't. I didn't know what it was. Um, I finished the training session. I then went home. We were playing Rotherham on the, on the Friday. And I always remember the manager saying, "Play Friday. You're not going to come back until Thursday." I thought I had a period of time to to get ready. And it, I've had injuries before, and it's just kind of like one of those 24-hour things. Yeah. And I just remember going in the next night, and my knee had completely blown up. And I remember having it drained because it just filled up with fluids. And then I went for a scan the next day and it came back that I'd had this, um, this sort of microfracture in, in my knee. And, um, and then I was out for the rest of the season. And the, the thing with Rovers was at that time was they'd moved training grounds yeah. um, to, to a different part of Bristol. Now, the training ground that they were at were better pitches, but there was no gym there. So injured players were going up to the David Lloyd Centre doing your own rehab on your own mm. and players were making mistakes and I was and my rehab was completely wrong because I went back into Brighton after after I retired to their physios they saw what I was doing and couldn't believe what I yeah. was doing it was completely wrong and the, the things that they were trying to get better was was all wrong and it, it was just an absolute nightmare um, John yeah. Ward came in after Mark McGee had been sacked um, in my second season. And then I went to a, a knee specialist in, um, in London, one of the best knee specialists in London. And he said to me, you've got six months to a year left in your knee. And this is if things go right and this happens and, and nothing really falters. And 
you know, he said at 29, you've got signs of arthritis in your knee and you're going to need, an, you're going to need another operation when you're here and you're going to need a knee replacement when you're there if you want to carry on doing this. Um, <clears throat> so I kind of knew then that my, my time was up. And, and by then, to be honest, that the professionalism of the, the treatment that I had down, it was yeah. so bad. It, it, I almost fell out of love of, of the game to a certain extent. It was 18 months of hell. I came back in the second season under Mark and I couldn't, so I, I couldn't train on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'd have a training session Thursday. I'd play Saturday. And I, I had to train all the time and and I was playing in so much pain in my second season. It was it was absolutely frightening. I remember playing against Wimbledon in my last game I played in and the, the team wasn't doing well at the time. I I injected my own knee to try and get the fluid really? out because there was so much fluid in yeah, I, I I took some syringes from the physio and syringed my own knee to try and get the fluid out. And I remember running and I was in so much pain. But back then there were certain players in that Rovers dressing room that were, weren't really injured, but they didn't fancy yeah. it. And I went out there and I, I, I was in so much pain and I came off at half time. I, I couldn't, I couldn't run. And ironically, my first game for Rovers was at Wimbledon. I scored the winning goal and my last game was at Wimbledon and I, I ended up coming off. So, but I, I knew then that, you kind of go home every day and you've got ice packs on your knee and you can't do this and you can't do that. And, you know, the bigger picture was I'd, my newborn was two at the uh, one or two at the time and the bigger things afterwards for me. And I always made sure when I was playing that I wouldn't never get too attached to the game yeah. in terms of football that I kind of knew in myself, if I had to walk away from it, even I'm doing media stuff now that I'd be okay with walking away from the game. And what, thankfully for me, since that's happened, I've I've not kicked a ball for seven years. You know, yeah. I, do, I, I do the academy stuff, which we'll talk about. But in terms of playing any charity games, I, I can't do that. I can't run anymore. Um, I, I can just about, I can walk and I can cycle, but I can't, I can't do anything else now. I've got arthritis in my knee. Um, it clicks a lot and does funny things and stuff. And so um, the aftermath of it all, I'm affecting now, but if I'd have carried on playing and tried to get through yeah. it, I'd probably be a lot worse than, than what I am now. Of course, I mean, that may be even a blessing then, but I think you know, that, that's to be totally commended, actually. I just wouldn't know how to go about injecting my own knee, man. I mean, well, I, 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 I never had like, those kind of problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just kind of complete guesswork. But yeah, so of course, that was the career of Adam Virgo. So on to what you're more famous for now, of course, and you're a very well-respected pundit in the National League, the main commentator for BT Sport. That's some accolade. How did that come about? Well, I, I retired in the, in the summer of 2013. And I, when you retire as a footballer, you, you either become a coach or you try and get into the media. That's, that's the first port of call of, of, what, of what you want to try and do. And um, a friend of mine who I got to know through Sky, a guy called Brian Swanson, yeah, yeah, Scottish guy. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. He's um, so I kept in touch with him. He did my first interview for Sky when I signed for Celtic, and we kept in touch. This is Brian Swanson, Sky Sports, yeah, him, that yeah. guy. Yeah. Brian with a Y, <laughs> and um, he um, he basically just said, "Look, I, I was trying to get in at Sky, and I was doing my best." And then he said to me, "Do you know the, a gentleman called Grant Best who's gone to BT Sport?" Grant Best, to people that don't know who he was, he went to school with my brother. And he worked at Sky. He went to ESPN at the top job. And BT had given him the top job to, to basically yeah. run the company. Um, he was like the manager of the company. Um, so I tracked down. I, I thought he still lived in 
America. I then tracked him down and um, um, I then, um, sorry. It's all right, no problem. <laughs> he, um, so he, he then just said, look, Brian Swanson, um, Brian Swanson, got him in my lab. Grant Best is now the head guy at uh, BT. So I called him up and just said, look, is there anything for me that, that I could do? And I'd, I'd, I'd done my work experience at Sky when I was younger. Grant had looked after me and I'd always been interested in that, in that side of the, of the game in terms of interviews and journalism and things like that. And I just remember ringing Grant up and just saying, look, is there anything for me? And by the time I had rung him, BT had already sorted out their National League. I didn't, their National League panel. So James BT was the co-com with yeah. Steve Bauer. Um, so he said to me, look, there's nothing for you at the minute, but go away, go and get some experience. And then we can go from there. And I went and worked at BBC Sussex, doing the local radio, doing the Brighton games. I did some things on Talk Sport. I did one or two games on Sky. And then James Beattie got the Appleton Stanley job. Yeah. And then I got a call from Grant um, in November saying, here's your chance, mate. And he kind of, um, but he told me when I first, I said to him, I wanted to be a pundit. And he said, you'll be a better co-commentator than pundit. And I was just like, but I've never done a co-commentator in my life. But because he knew me, I think he felt that I, I could handle myself as a co-commentator yeah. more than a pundit. And then the game... I did first was Cambridge v Barnet, and he. If I'd have sent my CV off to BT that Grant wasn't in charge, I probably wouldn't have got any of the jobs that I got. So I know it's who you know sometimes to get into these situations. But on the other side of it, I knew that Grant was sticking his neck out on the line. That James BT had gone Premier League player, former England international. Now you're bringing in somebody that's played the majority of his career in League One, League Two, in the Championship, had a stint at Celtic. That maybe the panel of BT hierarchy won't know who you are to a certain extent. So I knew that I was going to be um, his, his sort of uh, delivery into the, into the company. Yeah. But I, I was really lucky because I went into a team of really good people. And I remember working with Steve Bauer, who was an amazing um, coach for me to learn off. And I remember doing my first game and then I went and saw the producer and I remember him coming out to me saying, really, really well done. He said, you were brilliant. And I just kind of said to him, but tell me what I can do better. Yeah. And I always wanted to improve, a bit like when I was a player. And I think the good thing about BT at the time was we used to do a lot of European games. And all of a sudden, I was working with Derek Ray, John Champion, Peter Drury, Jonathan Pierce. I was working with all these commentators really, really quickly. And I was learning things from them. And I was asking them questions about stuff. And, you know, they just say, do your work, do your research and, and work hard and because they, they would rather work with someone who does their research than, than someone who's done no research who's a bigger name. They, they would rather that. And I would go away and listen to different co-commentators, listen to pundits, and just try and take it all in. So I'm always, even now I do it, I'm, I'm always trying to learn. So I, I got my break at BT through knowing somebody, yeah. but I feel that I've taken the ball and, and kind of run with it to, to, to speak. Yeah, I think I think you you do come across very well on BT whenever I've kind of watched the games, playoff final especially when you're sitting in the stand, you know, in a kind of dugout area. Oh, I was like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. John, you mentioned John Champion. We had him in the podcast a few weeks yeah, I ago. Saw, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was outstanding, man. It, it, it just just inspirational the games he's covered. But, um, so we wanted to ask you what your favorite favorite National League stadium is to commentate at or to just report from. It's, it's weird because there are. Like Tranmere was a good one to go to because they, they always had the biggest crowd. And then we did a game at Lincoln, 
when they yeah. won the National League title on the final day of the season. There's 10,500 fans in, in Bank, um when, when we played when we played that. Notts County is another good one. The good thing now is, is that the teams that are dropping in are, are big, big teams like nice. Wrexham and, and, and teams like that. Um, but my, Bromley's a good one to go to. It's, it's a real community club and it, it's, it's a nice feel. But Tranmere has been my favourite to go to. I love Liverpool as a city. I think it's a great city to visit anyway. But they, you, you kind of back in the crowd a little bit and you can speak to the fans that are right next to you and they're, they're good to chat to. Um, but yeah, no, Tra- Tranmere was always my, my favourite one. Um, Forest Green was odd because everything was vegan when we had to go there and eat. Deal vents. Uh, yeah, and, 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 and eat everything vegan. Um, but, you know, little grounds like Dover's ground is, 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 is like little grounds that have, have a decent amount of atmosphere. Bristol Rovers was, was good to commentate out, even though I played there. Um, but I would say Tranmere out of all of them since doing the National League has, has been my favourite one to go to. Well, that's enough. If you agree with Adam, do get in touch. If you disagree, get in touch even more. So, yes, we want to talk more about uh, the reason why I suppose you came on is to talk about the Adam Virgo Academy. Now, what are its origins and what kind of service do you offer? I mean, it's, I've kind of progressed really well in my media career and, I've, you know, I feel that um, I've, I've, I've done well with that. But with the Academy, um, it's, it's one of these things that I've always wanted to do. Um, it's, it's just trying to find the time and, and the situation to try and, and, and fit it all in. in. In Brighton, you've got Brighton of Albion, Albion in the community, you've got the Chelsea Foundation. There's another ex-player who set up an academy here called Russell Martin. Um, so there, there's, a, there's a lot of competition here. Um, but what, what I wanted to bring to the table was a no-pressure environment in terms of, of kids just learning football. For me, at the ages between six and... Um, 12 it's about the coaches the coaches are the massive things of how players develop and i think early on in careers people go into the academy system far too soon and they get released far too quickly and they lose their confidence and we take players in have lost their confidence completely that they've gone into an academy like brighton or chelsea and they've been released at eight nine years old too too small too slow not this not that and it's unfair to judge a child at that age and i just felt that my, my growing up, I played Sunday league football. So what we try and do is I don't run teams. I just run training sessions. And we just try and work with the local Sunday league clubs to say, because the, lo- the local Sunday league clubs are clubs that are run by volunteers and mum, you know, mums and dads who are the coaches. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you get good coaches, sometimes you don't, but they're just a dad helping out. And, you know, that's to be commended. And, you know, my son plays for a, a Saturday side and, you know, a guy takes it and, you know, he, he's fine with it. it. It's good. But I think sometimes, I think what the, the Sunday clubs are worried about is academies coming in, taking their best players, and then they lose out on trying to build a good team up. And for me, for me, it's just about children enjoying themselves and, and enjoying their football and, and having fun. And it's the no-pressure environment. Of course, we want to produce a professional footballer. I'm not taking in everybody yeah. that just wants to enjoy football because if we've got that example of a Lewis Dunk or someone who's come through my academy that you can aspire to, to say, look, we do produce footballers. Um, but, the, but the competition is so, so difficult to, to compete with. So it's almost like you're chains of restaurants, you know, you've got your ZZs, you've got your Pizza Expresses, but all of them have different things that you can apply. So there's no point in me trying to be as good as Brighton because I'm, I'm yeah. never going to do that. But what I can try and provide is good quality coaching, 
Um, you know, my name's on the badge. I'm there as much as I can if I'm not doing the media stuff. So the parents see me there. And it's just about the players learning and then going back to their Sunday teams and then playing and then coming back to us to, to try and have that right balance. Okay, now whereabouts in, a, in the region can you be found? So we're, we're in the West Sussex region. So you've got Hassocks where we are at on a Friday. Um, we're also in a place called Poynings that we can go to, Burgess Hill and Hayward Teeth area. Um, but they're, they're the main areas that we are at. I've kind of put myself out there since lockdown a little bit more to offer myself as an individual coach. And um, I set up training sessions. So we do like friend sessions now because I think some people like playing with their mates. But rather than just going to have a kickabout, we've, I've had one today where you kind of have seven or eight of your mates and you kind of bring on a training session as well. So friends quite like that as well. So I offer that. So I'm, I'm doing more and more coaching myself um, out there. But it's, it's mainly like the Hay- um, Hassocks area, Burgess Teal area, Poynings area uh, that, that, that we are um, with the academy. Well, of course, listeners, if you're listening, if you want to be the next Lewis Dunk, uh, you'll be in very safe hands with the Adam Virgo Academy. The Adam Virgo Academy can, of course, be found on Twitter, uh, at Adam Virgo Academy. And if you have any questions, please do follow them to Adam at info at adamvirgoacademy.com. Well, I'm afraid uh, we've certainly kept you longer than we anticipated, so we do apologise, Adam. No worries, um, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. However, what Adam doesn't know is that every guest we have on, we subject them to what's called the gun to your head round, Okay. We'll ask you some very quick fire questions and you respond as if you had the proverbial gun to your head, Adam. Are you ready? Go. Favourite song of all time? Wonderwall by Oasis. Good choice. Favourite movie of all time? Rocky IV. Favourite holiday destination? Marbella. Favourite player of all time? Paul Gascoigne. And finally, favourite match ever watched? Tottenham v Arsenal FA Cup semi-final when Gaza scored that free kick. Oh, well, if you have any any dissenting voices in our listenership, do get in touch and I'll send it across to Adam, okay? <laughs> well, but now we know more inside the life of Adam Virgo and the career of Adam Virgo. It's been absolutely amazing. Adam, thanks once again for coming on Not The 92 Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers, boys. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. As always, it's been a pleasure to give you a candid insight into key individuals in the non-league world. Please remember to follow us on Twitter at nt92pod or on Instagram at nt92underscorepod. And if you, you have any questions at all for us, please do get in touch via email at podcast at notthe92.com. God bless, stay safe, and we'll be back next Wednesday with another exclusive. Bye-bye for now.